0: Morning. As we transition to our message, I got a question for you to think about. Um, you ever been part of a great team? Think back on your lives. You ever had a chance to be a part of a great team? They, they come in all kinds of different forms. Uh, we've been talking about camp, our theme for the last couple of weeks. We're going to be wrapping that theme up today. It's called Camp ECC, and maybe some of you had, a, had the, the chance to be on a great camp team where the speaker was great, and the music was great, and the programming was great, and the food was great, and the waterfront was great, and the counselors were great. And If you ever had a chance to be a part of that, it's really something special. Or maybe you had a chance on a work team where you were on that great team, and you brought in that client, or you accomplished that project, or you came in under budget and had a schedule and all those things, and it just was awesome. Or maybe you're in a a band or a choir where it wasn't people just kind of afterwards kind of clapped, but they just, when it was done, there was that spontaneous eruption of, of cheering or clapping or applause that made you go, wow, God, you just did something special here, you know, in our midst. Or maybe you're part of a sports team and you played that game of your life. You came together or you won a championship or something like that. Well, if you've ever been a part of one of those teams, you know that it's something special and it doesn't happen all the time. Great teamwork is so elusive, and great team performances are even more so. And when your team not only accomplishes something great, but when they defy the odds, when they surpass any expectations that people had for that team, then it's really fun. Well, one of the greatest underdog stories from the world of team sports was captured in a movie called Miracle. It was, a, it was a movie based on what they called The Miracle on Ice, and we actually have a prop from that movie. This uh, jersey right over there is an actual prop from the movie Miracle. The movie Miracle was based on a real event, an event that Sports Illustrated called the top sports moment in the entire 20th century. In 1980, a collection of young hockey players led by Minnesota's own Herb Brooks defeated the Soviet Union's national team. Now, on paper, should they have ever won that game? Go ahead and even just Wikipedia this one or Google it or whatever. Look this one up and look at the odds against this team. They never should have won that game. Never should have won that game. But they came together, they defied the odds, and they accomplished something that we're still talking about 35 years later. Now, I want to show you something about this jersey. This is kind of fun. And I think we used this for one other message we did too, so some of you know it's coming. If you can read this, what does it say? Christian, the name on the back of this jersey is Christian. And I want to I wanna use this as a jumping off point here today because this may have been the best uh, underdog story in sports, but the greatest underdog story of all time came from a little band of Christians. And that's not hyperbole. And that's not me making something bigger than it was you go back through history there was never a greater underdog story in the history of the world afterwards i defy you to show me an example of a group that defied the odds a team that came together and defied the odds more than the early christians they had the odds were stacked against them like you never have seen the jesus movement should have died with jesus If Jesus was just a man, the Jesus movement should have died with Jesus. The whole forces of the world came against these, this little tiny group. But they defied the odds, and they forever changed the world. Right before these witnesses saw Jesus of Nazareth ascend into heaven, they heard their master make them a promise. And we've been looking at this promise for the last four weeks. It comes out of the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up uh, to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right here. You, you've got one? Awesome, Rick. You will receive power, it says, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This serves as an outline for everything that follows in this book, by the way. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There is no way this should have come to pass. There is no way, but it did. And we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. The Jesus movement did these things. It spread, and it spread throughout Jerusalem. Here's an example, Acts chapter 6, verse 7. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly right there in where? In Jerusalem. Jerusalem, just as Jesus promised. In Jerusalem, 120 became 3,000. 3,000 became 5,000 men. So if you add in the women and family, you're talking at least 10,000. When persecution then broke out against Christians in Jerusalem, believers were dispersed into Judea and Samaria, where the movement continued to grow just as Jesus promised it would. This is from Acts chapter 9, verse 31, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church in Judea and Samaria multiplied again. And the movement didn't end there. Jesus said it wouldn't end there. It continued to spread. Here's an example from Acts 18, verse 8. Many of the Corinthians, now it's all the way over in Corinth. Many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And as the book ends, you have one of the disciples of Jesus who never should have been a disciple of Jesus named Paul. He's in Rome, and he's spreading the good news at the ends of the earth. Now, this happened. One of the reasons I say this happened, and this was such an underdog story, is this, this happened in the face of intense persecution. And this happened without any worldly weapons. This is all pre-crusades and all that stuff that people are going to say, the reasons that Christianity spread. This is all pre-that. This, this came at a time when the only social media they had was... Someone dropping off a scroll and saying, hi, you know, that's their social media, right? So even if you don't believe, if if you're extremely skeptical, and I understand that, if if you don't believe that Jesus was a son of God, here's a question that's still worth asking, a team-related question that's still worth asking. There's a place to write this in your notes. What can we learn about teamwork from the greatest underdog story of all time? Isn't that a great question? If you want to study what makes a great team, let's study the greatest underdog story of all time. Well, last week we made a case that there had never been a movement like the early church where such a diverse group of people came together and they did so freely and they did so sacrificially. Here's an example from chapter 4 of the book of Acts, starting with verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed, they were of one heart and soul. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women. Well, as this movement grew, as it grew from hundreds to thousands to tens of thousands, and and as people from every tongue and tribe and surrounding nation were joining this ever-growing family, this little movement faced a growing number of challenges Growing a number of challenges Now time is limited here today So we're not going to look at the external challenges Let's just look at the internal challenges And because time's limited I'm going to limit it down to four So we're just going to briefly look At four internal challenges That this team was able to overcome uh, Through the work of the Holy Spirit and, what, and let's take a look Here are the four of them You can write these down if you want I'm going to give you all four right off the bat here Early church internal challenges, there were new paradigms, there were doctrinal differences. I feel like we're playing Jeopardy. I'll take doctrinal differences for 300, please. (laughs) Uh, and, And three, we had conflicting opinions and we have growing needs. So all of these are internal challenges facing this little tiny group. Any one of these has the potential to knock the movement down before it even gets up and running. So in the short time we have, let's take a look at how they overcame these four challenges. So the next four things I'm going to give you are going to match up with these. Things that they learned the hard way. In your notes, I think I wrote down something like hard-won wisdom. Because this isn't philosophy. This isn't just someone writing a book that sounds really good or offering a seminar. This isn't ivory tower stuff. This is hard-won wisdom. Here, is, here are four of the ways that this early group that never should have got off the ground, here are four things they learned along the way. Number one, that is this. Solid fundamentals matter. And this one is matched up with this new paradigms idea. The challenge of new paradigms. If you are growing, you are changing. Can I get an amen? And this is in your personal life, this is organizationally. If you're growing, you're changing, you have to. If you're growing, you are changing, and change requires new paradigms. And we see when Jesus stepped into this world, he was challenging worldviews all the time. And while he challenged those worldviews, he upheld God's timeless commands. And the same thing happened with the early church. When the early church was growing and and being stretched, the Holy Spirit was leading men and women to do things that the world had never seen, while at the same time holding on to God's timeless commands and teachings. So that's why I'm matching these two things up, solid fundamentals with new paradigms. Because if you want to contribute to your team, you've got to be solid first in the fundamentals before you can learn the new stuff. You've got to be solid in the fundamentals. If you're not, you're going to hurt your team. In the business world, you can get your whole team in trouble really fast if you're not aware of laws and regulations and just the basics of teamwork, right? You can get your whole organization in trouble really fast. As a musician, if you can't keep a beat, if you can't play the right notes, good luck learning any new songs. In the world of sports, if you don't know the rules, if you can't dribble, if you can't pass, you're not going to get anywhere, right? Fundamentals matter. Let's talk about camps. We've got this Camp ECC theme. At a Christian camp, you can be the most well-intentioned, naturally gifted person on the team, if you're not attentive to the basics, like cooperation, communication, safety, sleep, you can undermine the very goals that you're, you're trying to obtain. All right, what does this again have to do with the challenge of new paradigms? When Jesus walked among his disciples, he used to say something over and over again that it used to just confuse me. He'd say things like, For those who have eyes to see, let them see. And he'd say, for those with ears to hear, let them hear. It's about fundamentals. Who was in the best position to see? Those who were practicing the Christian fundamentals. Who were in the best position to have ears to hear? Those who were practicing the Christian fundamentals. May I present to you that your eyes and your ears will have a much harder time discerning what is new and from God and what is new and not from God if you're not attentive to the fundamentals. And we saw how the early church, not all of them, but the ones who were central to this movement, they were attentive to the fundamentals. They prayed alone and together as Jesus modeled and taught They studied and reflected deeply on the scriptures as Jesus modeled and taught. They lived simply and they gave of themselves and their resources freely and generously like Jesus modeled and taught and they served one another. They put others first like Jesus modeled and taught and they reached out to those who were lost and hurting as Jesus modeled and taught and they were faithful. To God's commands as Jesus modeled and taught. And those same people who walked with God, those same people who tried as best they could to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, those people that didn't resist the work of the Holy Spirit, they had eyes that saw, and they had ears that heard, and they were better able to discern which new teachings were from God and which new teachings were from God weren't from God. You know, on Wednesday, I just did another example of this. I, was, I brought our vehicle in to get an oil change. And I'm sitting in the waiting room and, and I've got my laptop open and I'm actually working on this message. And, and on the background, they had one of those Sunday, those, those talk shows on, those weekday talk shows. And they were talking about current events and, and they were talking at this point about God and sexuality. So my ears are perked up, as are the ears of The rest of the people in in the room. And what was so hard for me, and it was, you know, the reason I almost wanted to turn the channel was because here was this woman, and she was saying, here's what God says about sexuality. And what she was saying about that wasn't what the scriptures say about that. And how are people in that waiting room or in the viewing audience going to know what God does and doesn't say if they're not attentive to what? The Fundamentals? How can they discern what she's saying and whether or not this is from God if they themselves aren't attentive to the fundamentals? History is filled with examples of people who claim to be acting for God and speaking for God. They'll go as far as throw on that jersey. Some of them in church positions. And they'll come up and they'll say, This is what God says about this. Or, or, You know, we're still paying the price for the Crusades with a bunch of knuckleheads, right? The Spanish Inquisition. How many times you're talking to people about Christians, and they're bringing up hundreds of years ago people that weren't acting like Jesus? And instead of people seeing Jesus through the church, they're seeing ungodly, horrific things through people who claim to be his followers. We need teammates, who are committed to the fundamentals, don't we? Absolutely. And we need this next thing, too. Here's another piece of hard-won wisdom. Real (laughs) accountability matters. It matters. It matters. It matters. One of the reasons you're going to hear me saying so much about this, I said some of this before in one of these lessons. I'm going to have to say it again because this is a trend that I'm so concerned about in the church, the complete lack of accountability that we have. And I'm not saying be accountable here. If, If you're not... If, if you need to go, some, go somewhere else, but be accountable somewhere. Be accountable somewhere. Can I say this? I'm going to say it. I'm not going to ask you. I'm sorry. You, you, if you don't have accountability, you're not on a team. Right? If you're not accountable to somebody, you're not on that team. Can I get an amen? Isn't that fair enough to say? Do I have any coaches? How many of you are coaches? How many of you are coaches? Sorry. If there's no accountability, are they on your team? No. How many of you are some kind of supervisor, manager, owner, CEO, or something like that? If if, if your employee is not accountable, the person that's working for you, are they on your team? No. Why do we think it should be different in Christianity? If you're not accountable, you're not on a team. Let me give you another example from the world of sports. Anyone recognize this logo? Little logo here. How many recognize this logo? What does the NFL stand for? National Football League. All right. National Football League. The, the nat players in the NFL, the National Football League, all right, we get do that. They are taught to protect the shield, right? They're, they're, they have to tell these young men, protect the shield. Quit acting like idiots. Protect the shield. Because what can happen is an individual can tarnish the reputation of the whole thing. When they act like a knucklehead, right? And, and so I've got another example here, another jersey in our, our Bob contingency here today. Um, some of you might recognize this jersey. Uh, anyone know the name on the back of this? Favre. All right, Brett Favre. All right. So Brett Favre used to play for the Packers. He gets signed by the Vikings. I'm like, I got to get that jersey. Because he and I are about the same age, one year apart. He's just a kid, you know? I'm a year older than, than Favre. I'm like, hey, come on, old guys. We got we to gotta step up, right? And we got to represent, and he's going to represent for us. So I'm like, I got to get that jersey. I also loved that it. it was a bold move. I love when, when a team is going to take that big chance, you know? That's it. We're going to go for it. Bold move. So I love it. I'm like, I got to get this jersey. And then Brett Favre. It gets released about something that happened before he came to this team that he had sent out messages that he never should have sent to a woman that he never should have sent those messages to. And Brett Favre tarnished the shield, tarnished a jersey that cost a lot of money. I'm like, can I wear this thing? You can tarnish the shield through your actions. You You can represent your team poorly. And a whole team can tarnish the shield. Like when the Vikings played the Saints and the Saints put a bounty on Brett Favre, right? In the series we've been in, we've been asking ourselves, what would it take for our church to be more like a great camp? Can we put up our camp ECC logo? We need theme music, Da-da-da-da, right? <laughs> Got a friend inside? No, sorry. Okay, I'm done. I'm done with that. <laughs> Some of you were here that week. All right. If we were a camp, if we were a camp and this was our logo, And we were the camp staff. We'd tell our camp staff, protect the shield. And we'd have accountability measures in place to help our staff protect the shield. Well, the early church realized very early on that people were misrepresenting God. They saw it happening. And this is not about brand management. This is about representing God. And they saw this was happening, and this was a big deal, because this movement at that time was the movement of God. These were the people of God. They were the disciples of Jesus. It was them who was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the one who said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, he had commissioned them to go and make disciples Baptizing and teaching them to obey everything that he taught them. That's why Paul had the audacity to say things like, Follow me as I follow Christ. That doesn't fly in this society. Who are you to speak for God? This is challenging. We're supposed to. Isn't that crazy? Not as this particular church. But if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, we should be saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Wow, that's insane. Because I'll tarnish that shield every day. Wow, this is why we need accountability. Do you see why this is linked with accountability? Because none of us as individuals or collectively can do this on our own. It is so easy to go to the left or to go to the right or to go whatever direction. We need one another because that wasn't pride when Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. If anything, he said, the only thing I can boast in is in the cross of Jesus Christ. It wasn't pride, it was his commission. It is our commission to do that. Wow, so the early church said, we gotta come together and we gotta hold each other accountable because this is something we can't do on our own. This is something we we dare not do without fear and trembling because we're gonna mess this up but let's take up our cross. Let's honor our God, and let's do this together. The basic unit of accountability was the early church. Let me show you this, Acts 14, verses 21 through 23. Acts 14, 21 through 23. I want to let you know, too, if you're looking this one up, or if you'd like to look it up, we have a stack of Bibles that we keep at the table here and at the table there. They're there for you. Please take one on your way out if you don't have a Bible. It says this, Acts 14, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples, they then went on to appoint elders for these disciples in every church. And they didn't take it lightly. With prayer and with fasting, they committed these leaders to the Lord in whom they believed. Now, very early on, we see the church is doing this. This movement said, we've got to get this right. So they, they said, we've got to get churches. We've got to get groups of people. We're making disciples. But then did they say, disciples, now you just go off and do your own thing? No, disciples, you come, you're part of this bigger thing. And guess what? We're going to put a leadership plan in place. It's really a flexible structure. But the thing that's not flexible, we're going to put godly leaders who have been vetted, who are prayed for, prayer and fasting, the whole bit. We're going to put those leaders in, in place in these new churches. Now, I purposely matched up accountability with doctrinal differences. Accountability is good for all kinds of things, but I intentionally put it for doctrinal differences because we need this as individuals, and we need this as groups of individuals called the churches, right? We need this accountability. We need other intelligent, committed, spirit-filled, Bible-reading, truth-seeking, fundamentally sound men and women who can challenge us on the soundness of our beliefs about God. Because if we're going to say, follow me as I follow Christ, we better have a whole lot of other people saying, yep, that's good. Or, nope, that's not good. Accountability proved useful in the early church, not just for individuals, but for churches too. And this is why the movement is still fresh. This is why the Holy Spirit is still being poured out in dramatic ways. They still needed the accountability. And we get an inside look of how this came to play in Acts 15. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 15, verse 22. This is such a loaded chapter here. When battle lines started to form in one new church over doctrinal issues, there were some doctrinal disputes going on. Doctrine is, is correct beliefs about God. There there was some doctrinal differences that were starting to go and there was battle lines forming. Hey, we're with these guys, we're with these guys. The church then said, we need help. That church, we need to reach out beyond ourselves. And they reached out to the church in Jerusalem. And, and here's what the church of Jerusalem, how they responded, Acts 15, verse 22. After listening to everything, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them and send them back to this church with the following letter. And then in Acts 15, we see what the letter said. When this particular church, the the church that reached out to Jerusalem, when they reached out to them, the Christian brothers and sisters in Jerusalem really listened to the issue. They prayerfully discussed the matter. And when they arrived at a decision, they carefully chose representatives to authenticate and communicate their decision. And and here's what I want to show you. Many of you already have seen this. This is in Acts 15, verse 28. This is something that they said in this letter, this church that was responding to this church that was divided. They said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to whom? To us. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And as I reread that again this week, my heart was just going out because it is amazing how many professing Christians, how many people that are wearing the jersey, they don't have an us. They don't have an us. And you can get really in trouble when you don't have an us. When it's, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and me, you can get into so much trouble when it seems good to the Holy Spirit and me. Over the years, I have seen a lot of good people, really good people, do some really stupid and ungodly things. And I have seen some good churches, really good churches, do stupid and ungodly things because they didn't have the right us in place who could say, you know what, that's stupid, that's ungodly. And don't we all need that? We're gonna need that as a congregation. We're gonna try as hard as we can. In fact, one of the things we did with the elders, we brought in the superintendent before there was a problem. We brought him in on Tuesday. There's not a big problem that I know of. I wanna build the relationships before there's a problem, right? Speak into us now. Help us to avoid problems. You know, bringing in, who is your us? As an individual, who's your us? That is, you're trying to seek the will of God who is your us as an individual? Who is your group of people who know you and you know them that can speak into your life? And as, if, as a church, we've got an us. We've got an awesome us. If you're going to a new church, make sure you ask that leadership team, who is your us? Who is your outside accountability with real authority who can help us as a church if we ever get into that situation where we need to reach out when we're divided, when we're hurting? All right, that actually leads well into the next one here. Another piece of hard-won wisdom, number three in your notes. Conflict resolution matters. What's my underlined, bolded, capitalized word here? Resolution. Resolution matters. You got to have resolution. Please repeat after me. We will disagree about lots and lots, and lots and lots, and lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff we will won't we we're going to disagree about all kinds of things but there comes a point where you got to resolve it and you got to move on we're going to disagree about all kinds of things and it's interesting the reference in your notes the reference on the screen's acts 15:36 it comes right after the doctrinal dis- uh, dispute right after it. So here's just a conflict of opinion. This is not doctrinal. You've got three men who just don't see things eye to eye. It's a significant issue, but it's not a right versus wrong per se. It's something they don't agree on. And so you've got these, these people. Now, I wrote in my notes, I said, some churches, in fact, all churches, we should have a decision-making shot clock Shouldn't we? On, uh, in our church offices and in our, in our meeting rooms. The shot clock. You got this much time. And if, if, if you don't reach a decision by then, bzzzt, you know, here's what the decision is. Draw a number, right? You, you, we should have a shot clock because we spend so much time arguing about non-essentials when there's so much that needs to be done. The men in this issue right here that, that were in sharp agreement, the Bible says, it was a man named Barnabas who was a vital leader in the early church. It was the Apostle Paul who wrote all kinds of the New Testament. And there was a guy named Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Can you imagine if these three guys just spent the next two, three years fighting over what they should do about this issue? It would have been crazy. Why don't we follow their example? They agreed to disagree and moved on they resolved it we live in a world today where there are tens of thousands of kids dying every day from preventable causes we have people that are dying as a result of wars and crazy stuff there are so many issues that are huge why are we wasting time i i wonder sometimes is it sin when a, when a group of Christians spend all this energy fighting each other rather than trying to reach out and make a difference. That brings us to number four. The last piece of hard-earned wisdom that we're going to look at today is commitment and coordination. Both of these matter, and the early church learned that. Commitment and coordination matter. The mission that Jesus was committed to, the mission that he's commissioned for us to do in his name, it requires all of us to commit fully and to coordinate our efforts. When we do, because the Holy Spirit's in that, all things are possible. When we don't, the good that we could have done in Jesus' name is left undone. Here's from book, book, book of Acts, Acts 6, chapter 1. Let me show you an example of this. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being what? Overlooked. Remember that word, overlooked. Their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Is this a big deal? Yes. Widows are going hungry. This is a big deal. So the church says, we got to figure this out. Well, as a church begins to grow, one of the great things about that is our capacity to meet needs grows with it. That's a good thing. More of us working together can do more good things in Jesus' name if we work together. However, if more people don't step up, then widows aren't the only ones who get overlooked. Couples who reach out for help with their marriage can get overlooked. People who want someone to visit them in the hospital can get overlooked. People who've lost a loved one can get overlooked. Kids and teens and singles and seniors can get overlooked. So what did the early church do as the needs began to grow? Here's an example. Acts chapter 6, verses 2 through 3, just continuing where we left off. The 12 gathered. All the disciples together and said, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Don't just throw someone at at the problem. Get the right people, right, and turn the responsibility over to them so we can give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. What did they do? They asked people to step up. Why because this wasn't a choice between. This wasn't an either or. This wasn't either the church leaders can lead or we're gonna make sure that the hungry widows get food. It wasn't an either or, it was a both and. It was a grow the team because we need to grow the team. It's a we can do both if people step up to the challenge. I remember a story my mom used to tell. She told it better than me because she was a storyteller, right? I think it went something like this. There once was a little red hen who lived on a farm, and one day her farmyard friends were hungry for some fresh bread. So the little red hen asked her farmyard friends, who will help me cut some wheat? Not I, said the pig. Not I, said the cow. Not I, said the goat. So the little red hen gathered the grain all by herself, which is not easy to do when you don't have hands. (laughs) And the little red hen... Then asked her farmyard friends, who will help me grind the wheat into flour? Not I, said the pig, not I, said the cow, not I, said the goat. So the little red hen ground the wheat into flour all by herself, which was not the task that fell in her area of strength, but someone had to do it. The little red hen then asked her farmyard friends, who will help me knead the dough? Not I, said the pig, not I, said the cow, not I, said the goat. And the little red hen kneaded the dough by herself. What do you think happened when she put that bread in her little easy hen oven and and the, the smell of the fresh bread started to spread throughout the farm? And she said, who will help me eat the bread? See where this is going? How many of you with a show of hands don't want people to get overlooked at our church? I don't want them to get overlooked. You don't want them to get overlooked. In your neighborhoods, in my neighborhood, there are people who need a church family. They're going to get overlooked if people in your neighborhood are praying for opportunities and looking for opportunities to speak to them, right? How many of you, show of hands, don't want a single person to get overlooked when they take that chance and they come and visit us. How many of you don't want a single one to be overlooked? I agree. They're going to get overlooked if the people sitting around them don't reach out. There's no way that a couple of us can reach out to everybody or should. How many of you want our church to offer lots of great opportunities for people to connect with others? Maybe a Bible study, maybe a trip to Boundary Waters, maybe some kind of event, right? Lots of great opportunities, right? People will get overlooked if people don't step up to lead these groups. How many of you don't want our teens and our kids to get overlooked? Show of hands. I want to see every hand high on this one. We will not be a church that overlooks our kids. We will not be a church that overlooks our teens. We will not be a church that just the teens, the kids that are facing the crowd. We need you to step up. We need you to step up if that's going to happen. How many of you, we've got partners in some pretty amazing places, some pretty tough places. Powderhorn neighborhood is one of the toughest neighborhoods in our entire state. The, the, The Juarez neighborhood that we're in, it's one of the toughest neighborhoods in the world, that area right around there. Well, let me say the city for sure. The city is one of the toughest cities in the world. How many of you don't want kids to get overlooked in those two areas? All right. How many of you don't want those volunteers who are already volunteering to get burned out? How many of you don't want our staff to get burned out? Hands, please. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> How many of you want us to offer exceptional worship and, and exceptional hospitality every week? How many? How many of you want us to be beyond reproach in our financial stewardship? All right. How many of you want to ensure that at our church, if somebody calls from the hospital or someone has a death in the family and they let us know, because you have to let us know, you guys. You have to let us know. If they let us know, how many of you want to be sure that those people don't get overlooked? Okay. Could we, do, we could do this all day. Right? And I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of you who've stepped up because I've never been a part of a church. I'm looking out and I'm going, who's left that hasn't stepped up? Thank you, 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 thank you. Because the amount of ministry that is happening because you stepped up is astounding. And as we close today, I want to close with an invitation. If you've never joined this big, big team that is all around the world, this, this family of God, if you've never consciously said, God, I would be honored to be on your team, if you've never done that today, at the close of this service, I would encourage you to go back to that corner that says prayer and to ask someone there, would you pray with me? This time is one I'm going to say, don't just pray that yourself because you're joining a team, right? So don't be by yourself saying, God, I want to join your team. (laughs) Go find a teammate, you know, and pray that with them, all right? I'm in, you know? So if you've never done that, that, that's one thing I would say to you. If you've never done that to God or if you feel like, you know what, today I want to recommit that, I would encourage you to go pray that prayer. Also in your insert, let me give you two more things. One is a little insert that says Explore Membership. If you don't have a church that you can say is holding you accountable, we would be honored. We would be absolutely honored for you to consider our church. Um, On Tuesday, this Tuesday, we're going to sit down in our office, and we'd love to have that conversation with you, let you know a little bit more about our church. No pressure at all. No pressure pitch at all. But we'd love to let you know more about who we are in case you'd like to do that. And then the last insert, this one's for people who are already on the team, Um, this one that says Camp ECC on there, I would encourage you to prayerfully go through those four things in orange. And, I, and just ask, God, am I stepped up the way you want me to be stepped up in these four areas? You know, I'm, we're not going to hunt you down and, and say, well, we think. I'm just going to ask you to be sincere, pray through those four orange things, and just say, God, am I as stepped up as you want me to be in those four areas? When we do those things, when we commit, united under the power of the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. Last passage I want to show you, this is is right out of Acts chapter 6, verse 7. When they stepped up, this is from that same little section that we were just looking at. When the people stepped up, the word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of of all people, priests, some of the people who should have been the hardest to convince, even became obedient to the faith. So that's the last verse I want to look at. Here's the last thing in your notes I encourage you to write down. We've said this one, I think, almost every week. We're going to do a better job of reaching out well. If we reach out well, what? Together. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful. What, what, an, what a scandal it is that you invite us on your team. And we should be the last ones picked. But you invite us, not just onto the team, but you invite us to be starters and to represent, and to wear your name. Lord, that is amazing. And Lord, may we not dishonor you with that invitation, but instead may we, changed and redeemed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, become the people individually and corporately that you've asked us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.